I say there's a place for all of us. That's number one. But I always have to remind myself, this is my lane. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm starting with right now. Mm -hmm. Let me master this. Mm -hmm. And then if I want to move on to the next arena or, or area, I can do that. But I think to your point, you have to have that limitless mindset. Mm -hmm. And now I think of myself as limitless. There's nothing that I cannot do. Whether I know how to do it or not, I'll figure out a way because I'm Latina. And that's something that from a, from a small age, generationally, that's something that is instilled in you from the beginning. Yeah. You figure it out. Mi gente, dímelo, dímelo, what's good? Welcome to another episode of the Quintueras podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know, on this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism. So every week we have a different guest join us for a very candid conversation around their journey between professionalism and authenticity. Speaking of guests, this week on the show, our guest is Madeline Torres. She's a first generation Dominican American who was born and raised in New York City. And having spent five years living in the Dominican Republic and learning English as a second language, she was able to merge her two cultural worlds through storytelling and community building. She's had 10 years of retail management behind her and eventually transitioned into the world of tech for the past five years. These days, Madeline is passionate about personal and professional advocacy, branding, and personal style. She uses her experience in corporate America to raise awareness on the Latina experience. And if you follow her on social media, this is what she talks about, what it's like to be a Latina in corporate, specifically within the big tech industry. Now that you know a little bit more about Madeline, let's get into this dope conversation. So we always start with the word authenticity, right? When you hear the word, what does it mean to you? Yeah, so straight off the bat, it's gonna be a twofold answer for me, if that's okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. So when I think about authenticity for me, it's definitely a culmination of values and passion. So what I mean by passion is there is an innate fire in me as a Latina to raise the bar for myself, to show up for myself, even when it's really hard, to pull back from my ancestors. So I use all of that to show up as myself every day. Okay. And it's really difficult. And then my values are obviously what my family taught me, right? Be a good person. Do the right thing. Be honest. Don't take any shortcuts. So I try to blend the two of them together and have that in the back of my mind. So when I'm presenting myself, those are my two core values. I like that you mentioned family, right? Because early on, I feel like our family has so much expectations for us growing up on how we should be. And they try to give us these values, but like, what sort of pressures did you feel early on? Like the type of person or woman that you should be? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> so I was raised very strict. My dad was very old school. So he was 20 years older than my mom. And, and both he was, of them Dominican? Yeah, and okay. he was ex-military. So he already had that militant type of background. And my mom was, or is, excuse me, the oldest of 15. 15? 15 children, natural. And, and where is she? She's here. She's in the middle though? Like She's the oldest. She's the oldest? So she's the oldest. There's five girls and 10 bo uh, men, 10 boys, sons. Yeah. And we have 14 left. So God willing, yeah. But so what I was saying is 
my parents were really strict. So they did not play the, you can't do your homework, you could do whatever you want. I was on a very strict schedule as far as my schooling. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten to 12th grade and I was expected to perform in school and I was a really good student and I definitely did feel the pressure and that was just something since I was little that was expected of me, especially from my dad. So early on, like school and academics was really important. Like, what was the idea? Because oftentimes it's kind of like, oh, academics is going to be the way out, the way into your future right. success and all those things. What was it like that? I think it was like that because both of my parents were not able to further their education. Right. So let me explain. My mom only went up to the third grade, mm. got pulled out, had to help raise her brothers and sisters. So she, she took on a lot, right? She had all of these dreams and aspirations, and unfortunately, educationally, that wasn't in the cards for her. Very similar to my father. He went up to eighth grade at least, but then when he migrated, he worked in the factories, and that's what he did. So I feel, not that they projected their dreams onto me, but I think they just wanted more. And they wanted me to follow my dreams, but be really smart about it. So my dad was more of the parent that will tell you, just stay in a consistent job, get your degree. Don't make too many moves, right? But my mom, I think she had to follow his lead, right? But when he passed away, I saw a huge shift in her. When I started to become more vocal about what I wanted to do, and I decided I'm going to stop putting my dreams on the back burner, I'm going to stop living someone else's dream, she was, she's with me 110%. Whether it's helping me create my pictures and content, whether it's me practicing what I'm going to say on my social media platforms or ideas that I have, she's with me 1,000%. So now she's pushing me to go in a very unorthodox approach to the next phase of my career. So do you think your mom was a bit more of like the dreamer? Yes. Interesting, but maybe like you, you, your father was such a, a strong, influential figure that it just kind of, yeah, let's, you know, yeah, we, we made all these sacrifices to get here. Yeah, let's play it safe. Yeah. Interesting. Wait, talk to me about Catholic school too, because I think that's such an interesting experience for me as well. I think Catholic school is such an interesting time. So for me, like they had very strict rules on how we need to show up. So in, in high school, I couldn't have facial hair below the earlobes. I only had a mustache. I couldn't have hair past a certain length. You couldn't have locks, afros, braids, like all of those kind of things. Like, <laughs> and that kind of shaped my identity on like how I showed up. What about you? Like, how did this shape your identity? Absolutely. So I went to an all girls high school on the Upper East Side, Cathedral, Cathedral High School. Yeah. Shout out to Cathedral High School. Shout out to Cardinal Hayes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's our, our brother's school. Yeah, yeah. So you already know they did not play. Our skirt had to be at a certain length. Of course, we rolled it up. Of course. Uh, we couldn't have uh, many piercings. Dyeing of our hair, we couldn't have our hair dyed. We had to be natural hair hair colors. We were expected to definitely act a certain way, especially when we were in that neighborhood. So that was the first time that I experienced code switching, by the way, because they used to get complaints from cathedral girls in their uniform because they would say cathedral high school was very evident what school we were from. And so the neighbors would complain and say that we were very loud and ruly, things of that nature. So we had to learn from, or I had to learn from a very young age, 
the way that I am, I'm loud, I'm passionate, I am fiery. That's just who I am. I can't be that way in certain spaces. It's not welcomed because even if I, I am this way and I show up this way for myself, they're looking at me like, you're doing a lot or you don't belong here. Did you get that specific feedback? Yes, they literally told us that we were bringing the school to the gutter. Wow. And there were times that at that age, obviously, girls start having boyfriends, right? Sure. They took it to an extreme where there was one specific day they wouldn't let us out until all of the young men picking up the girls would be off the premises. So it was a very strict environment, yeah. but it was very fun. I was introduced to a lot of different cultures, even in grade school. In the Lower East Side, I went to St. Bridget High Secondary School. No, not secondary. St. Bridget is a primary school. Okay. So I was around a lot of POCs and it was a very safe and fun environment. Yeah. But then when I went to high school, because of the area that Cathedral High School was in at the time, which was 56th Street. Upper East Side, Upper Midtown. East That's Side, a very Midtown. wealthy yeah. neighborhood, like Equinox around there, like all exactly. those type of spots. Yeah. And it's a very white focus. Right. So obviously they're gonna cater to the people in that neighborhood. That's fascinating. So, cause there's also this idea of like Manhattan versus the other boroughs too, or like even Manhattan versus certain parts of Manhattan, right? Yeah. Like, I guess it's like, it's kind of like when people say like, oh, we're gonna be around white people. Like let's act accordingly or like let's act a certain way. It's just like really interesting that you had that experience at such a young age. It didn't really, make that much of an impact. Mm -hmm. They say hindsight is 2020. Mm -hmm. Now thinking about it and being the woman that I am and what I value and now what I've learned from 15 years ago to now, mm -hmm. it was very evident what they were doing. They were trying to put us in a mold because since we were representing the school, mm -hmm. they wanted to make sure that we would act accordingly. Yeah. But Unfortunately for them, that never stopped us from having our fun and getting into trouble as teenagers is normal. And it wasn't a stifling environment because the school was so fun and we made Boy. so many friends, but definitely you see the expectations from a very young age from people, especially if you're POC, of what they deem appropriate. So you're in high school very early, but like as you grow up, a little bit and start exploring different careers, like where was your mindset? Like, what did you want to do? My mindset was all over the place. So I'm not gonna sit here That's and lie. <laughs> um, yeah. I think there's a huge challenge for me was leaving K through 12, you have structure, you're expected to show up at a certain time. There's a lot of handholding and then you become an adult at 18 and you graduate and now you have to go to college and you have to basically show up in a different way. You have to be more independent. Mm. So I was always a good student, but very strict, very focused. When I started going to college, that's when my life shifted, right? And I say that to say, you start to get into relationships. So you lose focus. That was one aspect of it, mm. like dating for the first time. Yeah. Then I was working full time. So my studies took a back seat yeah. and at the time I really didn't know what I wanted to do but I knew that I wanted to be a pediatric nurse hence why I went to Lehman College because they have a very good nursing program yeah unfortunately for me life chin chucked me 
on the chin, right? And through everything that I went through, it took me a really long time to figure out not only my place in the world, but what I wanted to do. So ultimately, I did change my major five or six times, and yeah. I didn't graduate college until I was 30 years old. Wow. But I still did it. I, during that time, my dad had passed away. A lot of unfortunate events happened during that time, trauma. Yeah, yeah. And at, when I turned 30, I told myself, you're not living up to your standards. So I felt disappointed in myself. And then I also felt like I was letting my dad down. Mm -hmm. And it just clicked for me and I just wanted more. So ultimately I did graduate with a BA in English literature. That was something that I always loved to do. And it's a shame that it took me so long to figure it out, but that's just my journey and my story yeah. and I own that. Well, also uh, like, who, do you, who can you even figure, who, who are you figuring it out with, right? Like who's right. your guidance, who are you talking to, right? Like. Exactly. You said it's not like your family went to college and they figured it out. So it's not easy. It's really difficult to figure it out. Absolutely. Being a first generation Latina is right. very heavy. It's a privilege and an honor. And I wear that. I represent that to the fullest. Mm -hmm. That's who I am. It's in my DNA. When I talk to anyone, I'm going to represent my culture, my values. Like I said earlier, those are my that's my central compass for anything that I do in my life. But man, it's hard because like you said, you, you don't have, when you're in school, they lay it out for you a certain type of way, yeah. but they're not really showing you the ropes. They're not showing you how to navigate at a job. They're not showing you how to navigate in corporate America. Mm -hmm. They're not showing you career advocacy. I didn't even know what a mentor was really until my late 20s. So yes, the school system is set up, especially Catholic and private school, it does give you a great educational foundation, right. but you have to now figure it out. And a lot of the times what I've noticed, specifically for me and POCs, Latinas, you kind of have to work backwards where you have to learn from your mistakes first and then you know what the right thing is or you know what the right step is, right, or you right, know right. this is what's gonna get me to where I need to go. Right. You have and to backtrack. But you know, not hopefully, but like, wouldn't it be so much better if somebody made the mistakes first and then told you kind of like to avoid them? But it's interesting too, like one of the like challenging things for me was when I went to school was like, there's so many things to do. It was like overwhelming, right? And I didn't even know what I wanted to study. I didn't know what I wanted to do. When you went into nursing, like, is that something you really wanted to do? I still want to do it. Interesting. I still want to do it. I would love to do it as a third career or a fourth career. I, I think life is long. Yeah. I would love to do that once I have children and they're grown and I can just live a different aspect of my life. That's I've always loved children. I'm an only child, by the way. Okay, me too. And oh, so we have that in common. So, but I come from a huge family, but because I was an only child, I wasn't around that many children. Mm -hmm. So the times that I do get to be around my friends' kids or my cousins, it's always a joy for me. And I always think about, man, what if I would have just stayed true to the script, yeah. which was letting my father at the time he was alive, just help me out and not work. Mm -hmm. I would be a nurse right now. But why, so you didn't work and you didn't, I'm sorry, you can, you continue to work was it because of this idea? And maybe this is like only child stuff, but like it's really hard for me to ask people for help. Yes. And not only that, I've been working since I was 15. My first job was off the books at a legal company, super random, helping them out. 
And ever since then, I've worked. Then yeah. I worked in Bloomingdale's when I was in Cathedral High School. And I've always worked. It's always what I've done. And like, there's this idea of independence that's very close to you. Same. I don't, I'm a very prideful person. I really highly dislike asking for help. I've gotten better at it with therapy and just being more vulnerable mm -hmm. and realizing when I'm in a safe space. But I think my, what I was doing was what 20 year olds do. I was going out, partying, that was my life, right? Sure. So school for me, I wasn't able to do both. And then you mix in life, death, relationships. That's what really continued my off track course. And unfortunately, that's just what it was. But I figured it out at the end and yeah. it, it worked out. I, I love how you started thinking about like, yeah, one day nursing. And then these days you're working in tech. Yes. What is it like for a Latina working in tech? Ooh, such a plain, simple question, but it's so many layers to it. So I ended up in tech because I did retail management for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So that was my wheelhouse. I loved fashion, still love fashion, obviously, love style. My, my family comes from a family of seamstresses. My mom worked with a stylist back in her day. So it's always been ingrained in me. And that's one of the areas that I wanted to dabble in too, was maybe going to FIT or something like that. So I told you I changed my major a bunch of times from nursing, to sociology, to English literature. Once I finished with English literature, I was still working at Zara, but I was able to get an internship at an online publication. It's called This is the Bronx. Okay, I'm yeah, not yeah. sure if it's still around, but that was super dope. And that was the catalyst for me to say, enough is enough, I've done my time, I'm 30 years old, it's time for me to go into the next aspect of my life. So. As you would, I started putting my resume out there. I was applying to jobs that I wasn't even qualified for because I wanted my resume to be out in the universe of resumes. Mm -hmm. So eventually, after so many interviews and feeling so defeated because it's such a process, especially when you're unhappy in a job, mm -hmm. this recruiter reached out to me and she said, I saw your resume and I think you would be great for this contractor to permanent role at this IT company. Mm -hmm. I said, great. Most of the qualifications that I had aligned, the scope of work, the day-to-day -day responsibilities. And so at 30 years old, I left a full-time job with benefits and pay. Mind you, I'm taking care of my mom at this point, And I have that. I took a gamble and I took a big risk. Yeah, because it wasn't guaranteed that you were gonna get the full-time role. It wasn't guaranteed, and exactly. What did, what did your mom think? She was, she was telling me, just do it. You're not really? happy. It's going to work out no matter what. Wow. Faith I, I is didn't, really I didn't think that's her. what she was going to say. Yeah, faith is really important to her. And even if I fail or make a mistake, she's not the type of person that is judgmental. She's more of, okay, this is what happened. Make peace with it, learn from it, and move on. Just let it go. Wait, so before before you got this tech job, okay. you, that was before that was your first full-time like corporate gig, right? That was my first time working in corporate America. So what was, your, what was your first day fit like? <laughs> what was the first day fit? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Let me see. <laughs> it was a, bla a black blazer yeah, yeah. with exaggerated shoulder pads. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I removed the shoulder pads 
and a white button-up silky blouse, mm -hmm. trousers. Trousers? Trousers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black trousers. That's just a funny, it's a funny word, yeah. And, you know, we try to be sophisticated over here. <laughs> and some heels. Okay. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know anything about tech companies, about what the Fortune 500 companies were, what the competitors were. I had to just learn. And yeah. I worked my way from the bottom. And I've been there for almost now five years. So when you start working at this really big tech company, right? Did you have any self-doubt? Like, it's a little intimidating mm -hmm. being surrounded by a bunch of coworkers that go to like amazing schools and all these other things. Right. How did you feel when you started working there? It was mixed emotions. I felt really happy. It was a great opportunity. It was huge for someone like me from my background, growing up in the projects, first generation Latina, first one to graduate from her family, from my immediate family. It was huge. It was huge. And I felt so thankful and I felt like it was a step in the right direction. On the other hand, like I said earlier, I did not know what I was getting myself into. So navigating the corporate industry, uh, a, a, an industry that's not made for people like you and me is extremely challenging. Why, why do you say that it's not made for you and me? It's not made for you and me because you have to look at the ethos and you have to take into, I'm gonna give you an example, boys club. <laughs> Do you know how many times I'm in the elevator and I am the only woman, that's number one, only POC, Latina, and I'm surrounded by Caucasian men. I could tell you maybe it happens every day. And you start to look back and you start to really view the office and the kind of people that they hire, right? Diversity and inclusion is still a huge issue for any type of company, really. There's really not that much representation. So you have someone like me coming into a corporate job. I'm already doing a type of job that's viewed as the help. I'm already a Latina. So that comes with negative connotations and associations in and of itself. And I just had to remind myself, this is temporary. You are going to do the basic work. You're gonna prove yourself, you're gonna show up and you're gonna keep growing. And that's what I did. Yeah. But there's a lot of self-doubt and there's a lot of, whoa, let me check in with myself. I do belong here. I am worthy of being here. I am qualified. I need to hold up space. I need to take up space. Why? Because there's not many of us here that look like me. And so I'm going to make my presence known, whether you like it or not. But I never, I, I didn't have that initial confidence in the beginning. That was something that I had to really work through. Where did you get that confidence from? Oh my goodness. I think the older that you get, I would hope the wiser I, I become, the more experience you have, especially when you start to network and put yourself in different rooms. So that's what I did. And also I, you prove yourself a little bit. You get a couple of performance reviews like, oh, I'm doing well. Yes. And then, I was like, okay, but I need to step it up. So I started looking into how can I pour into myself? So I started taking public speaking courses. Mm. I started networking with other people that weren't from my team. Mm -hmm. I started putting myself in situations that 
scared me. And all of that practice has gotten me to the point where even though it's nerve wracking still and everyone gets nervous, mm -hmm. I can't afford to not be this way because I was the opposite for so long, quiet, very reserved, which is great. But again, I wasn't living my authentic self and I wasn't practicing what I preach when you asked me at the top of our conversation with the values and the passion. Yeah. I was scared. I was definitely going through imposter syndrome within myself, thinking I wasn't good enough. And obviously you have to work through that and it takes time. So wh what parts of yourself do you think you were hiding? Oh my goodness, what parts of myself? I was definitely hiding back my talents, speaking up. What do you mean your talents, tell me. So even with content creating, that's something that I've been wanting to do for so many years. As I mentioned earlier, fashion mm -hmm. style, that's, I used to sketch my own clothes back in the day. I have books. Fire. And that was something that I loved. Yeah. And I, sometimes we think that we should do one thing and then we put it away. And they always say, think back to when you were a child, what made you happy? Yes. So being creative yes. always made me happy. Being crafty, creating designs, being artsy. I'm a Pisces, I'm a water sign. I love to be creative. But I put that all in a little pocket, mm -hmm. stored it away, and didn't pick it back up until maybe a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. So... Because it's also this idea of like, if we're a tech Latina, that's all we can be. Mm. We can't be a tech Latina and a content creator and an artist and a fashion and all these things where, you know, it's so funny, like that's the reason why I call it plural. It's because I want the plurality of all of like, all of the aspects of our identity to come together. Because when we get a corporate job, we often feel like we got to strip away all of those things because they're going to take away from the professional brand that we're building. Absolutely. But it just adds to it. Yeah, that's super dope. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Thank yeah. you for explaining that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think not putting myself in a box was what was the game changer for me. And so one day, I kid you not, April last year, I said, I'm going to start doing content. <laughs> Pavel, I didn't have one ring light, one tripod. Yeah, yeah. I had never shot content, never shot any videos, never taken pictures in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done it throughout my 20s for fun, yeah, but yeah. I never took it serious. What, what fears did you have when you started creating content? Judgment, yeah. judgment, fear of what people are gonna say or think, comparing yourself to other people. I think you have to be really strong mm -hmm. in not only who you are, but what you stand for and what your brand identity is. Because fortunate for us, there's so many of us. Some people say it's oversaturated, this market, content creating, YouTube, all of that. But I say there's a place for all of us. That's number one. But I always have to remind myself, this is my lane. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm starting with right now. Mm -hmm. Let me master this. Mm -hmm. And then if I want to move on to the next arena or, or area, I can do that. But I think to your point, you have to have that limitless mindset. Mm -hmm. And now I think of myself as limitless. There's nothing that I cannot do. Whether I know how to do it or not, I'll figure out a way because I'm Latina. And that's something that from a, from a small age, generationally, that's something that is instilled in you from the beginning. Yeah. You figure it out. 
How, have any of your uh, coworkers found you? Oh my goodness, Pop yes. up in their algorithm? Yes, so one, <laughs> one of them did mention it. It was super awkward. She said, you popped up on my For You page. I go, oh, okay, cool. I don't know why she shared that. It was a little awkward because what I speak about on TikTok is my experience 100% and I don't hold back. Which is a little nerve wracking, right? It is nerve wracking. Because you're like, oh my God, what video did she see? Was I talking about the meeting I was in with her? Like, you know what I mean? So luckily for me, it wasn't a direct coworker of mine. Right, And right. I don't have people that I work with on my social media. Only people... So the people that I do have on social media that I work with are not on my team. But that's the thing. TikTok, it's not about who you follow. It's about that yeah, no. will push it anywhere. You're 100% right, but that's just... You're laughing. You're just like... That's oh, just the risk that I'm taking yeah. because if I'm saying that I want to be one way, then I have to speak my truth. And yeah. it's not always pretty. And these companies sometimes need to hear it. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to make you feel comfortable after you, you're making me uncomfortable. I'm not gonna now coddle you because you're in a high level position. You're saying that you love what I represented in the interview process, so here I am. And this is what I'm gonna talk about. And so on TikTok, I just talk about my experience from day to day, from microaggressions to unconscious bias mm -hmm. to imposter syndrome. And then on Instagram, it's more style, yeah. lifestyle type of situation. I love that. Thank um, you. You said microaggressions, right? I think there's this interesting transformation, right? Where it's just like, I don't know, nervous, shy to be myself. And then there is this spark of confidence. How do you think your new level of confidence in that authenticity has been received by people? So by people that I work with or my friends, my family or? Let's, let's start with work. Let's start with work. Honestly, I don't think that people give enough kudos to the people that they work with. I don't think that people really take the time to sit back and always, from a bird's eye view, just sit back and observe. You can learn so much about someone by just being quiet and watching. Oh, I love it. And listening. I love it, right? I love it. Right. So I don't really, I have gotten compliments from a couple of the people that I'm more uh, closer with, mm -hmm. but as far as a whole, that's not something that's really celebrated, especially by people that are non-POCs, because it's still a very competitive environment, mm -hmm. and people are not really championing for you in the way that you would like, especially if they're not someone that is similar background, right? So you, th you think you've been met with more resistance? Company-wide, no, because the company is huge. Sure, but sure. as a larger team, definitely. And, and the, the people that I work with that I'm more close to that are people of color, they understand, they take the time to acknowledge all the hard work and they see the improvements and they see the change and they give you the kudos. So it's POC to POC. What are some of the things that they've noticed about you that they give you kudos about? So one thing that they've been mentioning a lot is advocacy. I've just been, you can't shut me up at this point. You can't shut me up. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, because I held back for so long, now I'm uncomfortable if I have something to say and I don't push myself to say it. It's gonna eat on me because now it's something so natural to me. And obviously you have to take into consideration your audience, timing. You have to read the room, right? You can't just say things off the rip. 
So I'm always mindful of that, but my peers and my coworkers have definitely been giving me kudos for advocacy and just speaking up on all of the issues that we've been experiencing this year as a team and as a company. Mm -hmm. And I always tell them, I'm not speaking for anyone. That has to come from you. Right. But I'm happy to be that person and speak up and ask the hard questions because at the end of the day, my mom has always told me, she says, have you ever seen a human being with another human being inside their mouth eating them? I go, no. La gente no se come a nadie, right? <laughs> yeah. Tu has visto? No. no. Okay, so I always think about that. What's the worst that could happen? I fumble on my words a little bit. I get a little nervous. I'm going to work through that. No problem. I'm not going to get the answer that I'm looking for. That's okay. But guess what? I'm still a voice. And I'm still showing up not only for myself, but for people that look like me. Yeah. And not everyone has the courage to do that. And again, that's something very personal because everyone is on their own journey. But I can't bear witness to certain actions and not say my piece on it. Because I do believe wholeheartedly that I'm, I need to make a difference in, in the smallest way possible. Is that a lot of pressure compounded on top of like your full-time job though? <sighs> You hear, I'm sighing throughout this whole conversation because it is very, my brain doesn't stop. Yeah. It's a gift and a curse, right? Being a creative person, taking on multiple roles and hats, be, again, being first generation, being a caretaker, mm -hmm. other family leaning on you for financial support. There's so many layers, right? So I added this onto my plate and I am devoted to it 100%. I treat this as my nine to five. Yeah. If I'm saying to myself, I have this to do, I have to do it. You know why? Because I am on the clock nine to five, living someone else's dream, making someone else money. So now I have to take it upon myself to use my time. And thank God that I have the privilege of having that time because not everyone does, or I make the time to pour into what I want to do. So what does that mean for me? It means working on weekends. It means strategizing, shooting content, responding to emails on weekends. It means being up at five o'clock in the morning every single day. It means working late and constantly thinking of the next move. I'm a one woman show. I do everything. So I have my corporate job and then I'm a content creator and I do my editing myself. I shoot myself. I come up with the ideations myself. If I have PR, I'm responding. Mm -hmm. So I am a one woman machine. Mm -hmm. So, and I take that with a lot of pride because I know I can handle it. Yeah. Is it easy? No. No. It's not going to be easy though. No. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And I know that sounds so cliche. No, it's true. But I have this opportunity. I'm going to take it. Yeah. And I don't know where it's going to take me, but I know that it'll be fruitful for me one way or another. How, how do you, how do you, tell me about a time that your advocacy or you speaking up for yourself has been met with some pushback? Oh my goodness. There was a manager that I love dearly that he was an advocate for us because he was POC. And there were specific times where just me being me, he told me once, you're too loud. You need to tone it down. But mind you, the Caucasian employees can drink beer. They can have a kegerator. They could vape. No one's telling them anything. They could vape? They can't. But they, yeah, but they get away like, with certain things. 
Exactly. That's exactly how they do it. I said, oh, okay. I chucked it up and I said, I'm going to work on that. Looking back on it, I should have spoken up for myself. Because again, you hired me. The way that I'm speaking, I speak very loud. I am not soft-spoken. Either I am quiet as a mouse because I'm reading the room, the vibes, something's not right, so I'm quiet. Right. Or I'm not quiet, you're gonna hear me. Yeah, there's no what in between. What do you wanna talk about? <laughs> there's no in between, there's no gray area. And then I had another similar situation, which was worse with a fellow person of color. And they say sometimes it be your own people. It be your own people. Most often. Let me tell you why I was minding my business and I was brand new at the time, still contractor, still learning the ropes, still not knowing if I was gonna be full-time or not, feeling like I have to constantly prove myself, working weekends, right, doing overtime, just trying to show up in the best way possible. He said, you know, I think that you're very aggressive. You've been very aggressive towards me. I go, oh, okay. I was taken aback. I said, can you provide me with an example specifically how I've made you feel this way? Still to this day, I can't get an answer. So there have been times where I think people are bothered by what you stand for and who you are. And I think as women, they put us in a box, right? And obviously there's so many other layers to it, right? With sexualization of women in the workplace and spicy Latina narrative, People don't always take you seriously. So when you start taking up space and then they hear how educated you are and that you can keep up with the big dogs, oh, it's either gonna be well received and they're gonna love you or they're just not gonna be able to stomach you in your presence. I found that a lot of the resistance that I've received have been from people that look just like me. And I think it's because, I think it's more of a generational thing sometimes I mean, then, then, like, then why then do you cultural. think that is, though? Do you think it's competitiveness? Do you think that? That's interesting. What is it? Because if I see, listen, I am everyone's biggest cheerleader to a fault. Mm -hmm. I have cheered people on and continue to do so. But at the time, before you see this version of me now, I wasn't cheering myself on. Yeah. And there's people that are like that, that they'll cheer everyone on. They love everyone. They're positive. And then, yes, you're met with people that are just bothered by everything that you do. I'm just wondering, where does that stem from? I think it's, that's just the examples of success that they've seen. Mm. Like, they've just seen people, they've only seen people be successful to by toning it down. Mm. Um, do you watch Insecure? I love Insecure. I watched it twice. I binged watched it twice. There's a, there's a clip where Molly, there's a new intern in the office. Mm-hmm. And Molly, when she first sees her being herself, she's like, oh, come in the office. And she's telling her, like, you should tone it down. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's literally two black women, right? Mm -hmm. And the girl's like, no, I'm not going to tone it down. But Molly's of the same generation. But I think Molly, in her ways, like, she's toning herself down in that office. She's not being herself because that's, the, that's what she's probably been taught around, like, what professionalism looks like. So I think until we see these new examples of people being successful and not toning it down, I think it's always going to be like that. Again, I think it has to stem from the top and trickle its way down. That too. Yeah, if, yeah. if you don't have leaders. Hence examples. Yeah. And if you don't have board members and if you don't have executive 
people in high-ranking positions, if that's not a priority for them, I promise you, we're yeah. never going to see the change. Yeah, but also people that look like us that get into those high-ranking positions, they also got to stop faking it. Well, because sometimes now they're whitewashed. Yeah. Now, and we've seen it happen. Because they've been faking it for so long. Well, I mean, again, yeah, like they've been faking it for so long that by the time they get to the top, it's not like they're going to be themselves. Exactly. Like, because again, and I've had like a bunch of executives on the show. Some of them said that the higher up they go, the easier it is for them to be themselves. But a lot of people say like, nah, I feel more pressure to not be myself because I'm more visible. I'm more in the public eye. Right. So I think yeah. it's also it's hard, right? Because let's just say you get to the top. You feel like you made it. Yeah. Is that really who you are or are you trying to kind of yeah. replicate what other people are doing, how they're speaking? Exactly. Because you don't want to be viewed a certain type of way. And on the other hand, maybe you're just a metric to these people. Yeah. And, and maybe you don't even hold any weight. And you got more to lose at that point, too. Ooh. Yeah. Always more to lose. We always have more to lose. I had this woman, Nancy Reyes, on the show. She's the CEO for BBDO, some ad agency. And she was like, I don't even know what my most authentic self is. Is it the person that I lost 20 years ago? Mm. Is it who I am now? Like, I don't know. I've been doing this corporate shit for so long. I don't know what that is. Yeah. That's, that's... why That's why you, like, I try to encourage people to figure that shit out early. Yeah. So that they can live a long time being themselves and not continue... Because eventually, like, you fake it for so long, you just lose yourself, you know? But that's the problem, too. There's no guidebook. Yeah. And you see these leaders that are POCs. Yeah. And it's like they're reading off of a script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's perfectly tailored and already prepped by someone in the HR department or PR department. Yeah. So you do that question shit. that. Or they give you those blanket statement answers. And I'm... And then you're taken aback and disappointed because yeah. you're seeing me, but you're not seeing me. Yeah. And I thought you were going to be able to see me. Yes. But now I see you for in a different light. Like you want them to finally in that one-on-one -on -one setting to take the corporate hat off. You know what they do? They do that. But to your point, they do that on a one-on-one -on -one setting, but they don't do that in the public, um, which is worse. Really. I've seen it. They'll act one way when they're let's just say in a town hall or a presentation or you have a big audience but maybe when you're one-on-one -on -one with them then you see the vulnerability you see the honesty and i think that has a lot to do with code switching that constant battle of authenticity but you want to fight for your dreams you want to take up space but then you can't take up too much space because now you're doing a lot and now you stick out as a sore thumb yeah and not in a good way yeah I mean, that's the whole point of the show. Like, I want to have those conversations to really find out, like, why are you faking it? Why do you continue to code switch? And hopefully provide people with examples of people being themselves and thriving. Yeah. But absolutely. it's not easy. Like, yeah. and now your representation for people. Like, when we, we talk often about, like, finding representation, but you are representation. Like, people are looking at you and being like, oh, well, damn, she said that in a meeting. Maybe I could do that. Mm-hmm. Not, we just need more people at all levels doing that. You know what I mean? And that's why I'm so vocal on social media. Yeah. Because I want to remind people that it is possible. Yeah. And not only can you take up the space, but you belong there. And don't ever let anyone make you feel that you don't belong. You're not worthy. And just continue being yourself. The people will either, like I said earlier, be attracted to it and love you for it. Or you're going to bother a lot of people that are not happy with themselves 
or maybe they don't have anything outside of the corporate industry. Maybe this is all you have. So now I have to empathize with you and think of you in a certain way where I'm not even mad. I feel a little sorry for you at this point. And let me take these moments with the microaggressions and the uncomfortable conversations because let's not forget now people in corporate America have a problem with direct one-on-one -on -one conversation. Everything has to have a nice little bow on it. And I'm more like, okay, let's just talk about it. You didn't like this? Okay. Let's talk about it. Let's work through it. It's not that serious and move on. So as a corporate Latina, I, I just have to be myself. And that's why I wear the big hoops. And I just spoke about this on TikTok. And that's why I wear my street, a hoodie and a blazer. And I tweak. Obviously, I read the room, right? If we have high level events happening, I'm not going to show up in ripped jeans and a hoodie because I know that I have to show up in a more corporate, traditional way, which I understand that. Mm -hmm. But then there are days that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear my gold hoops and I'm going to wear a t-shirt and I'm going to make it corporate appropriate in my own way because there was a, a girl that said, I don't think I could ever wear big earrings to work even though I work for a really lax company. I didn't get a chance to respond to her yet, but what I want to say to her is, People are going to misunderstand you whether you like it or not. So yeah. even if I wear the most corporate standard blazer, slacks, pumps, someone might still be bothered. Yeah. Just as much, if not more, if I show up more Latina facing. And everyone realizes that over time. Absolutely. That it like all of all, all of that is just a waste of time because at the end of the day, people are still gonna have the same perception about you. Mi gente, what's good? That wraps up another episode of the Quien Tuitas podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please do us a favor. Like, share, comment. Wherever you're listening to this, leave a rating and a review. It's just going to help ensure that these stories and experiences get heard by as many people as possible. Because that's the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you and see you next time.